What's up, Bucks fans? Back with another edition of Pirate Parlay here on the Sick Podcast Network. We just had a great episode earlier this week with Logan Hall, defensive end uh, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now we're back at it with behind the enemy line, scouting the opponent. We know this opponent pretty good. It's the Buccaneers, one of their rivals in the division, the Atlanta Falcons. A lot of stake on the line in this game. First, the first place in the division goes to the winner. If the Bucs lose, they're two games back. So this is a must-win game for the Bucs to keep their NFC South hopes alive with uh, a difficult schedule coming up. They've got the Packers, who are playing really well. They've got the Jaguars. And they also have to have to play the Saints again as well. So uh, big win, must win on the line for the Buccaneers. We'll find out a little bit more about this Atlanta Falcons. What's, cha- team, what's changed since the last time these two teams went head-to-head? And we'll get to that on the other side of the break. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. Pirate Parlay. Battle intercepted, picked off at the end zone. Bucks are going to beat the Chiefs. We're the champions of the world. The sickest Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast. It's going to be sick. We're back here on the other side of the break here. We're going to bring in a special guest. We've got Will McFadden, a writer for the Falcoholics and uh, co-host of the Believe in Falcons podcast. Uh, we had him on early in the season. We went back and forth. Uh, obviously, I picked the Bucks to win. He picked the Falcons to win. And uh, he came out on the better hand than that. But it was a closer game than many expected, I think. And uh, if not for two turnovers and some really bad blown assignments, I think the Bucks could have came away with that one. But coulda, woulda, shoulda, that's what they say, and the Buccaneers didn't. They fell to the Falcons and put themselves in a scenario and then went on to lose <laughs> a lot more games uh, following that, four more games down the stretch, only winning two of them, but this is a playoff game for them. This is a must-win for game. you got to win this game to control the NFC South, and the Falcons right now are doing everything they can uh, to keep that first-place lead in the NFC South. So, it's been a long while since these two teams faced. I think it was week seven. Uh, they were in Tampa Bay. Now they're in Atlanta in the Thunderdome. Uh, maybe Ludacris will be swinging from the rafters. Who knows? But, Will, <laughs> talk to us. What's the diff- biggest difference between this team in week seven and this team right now? Well, first, thanks for having me back on. It's uh, it's a pleasure to talk uh, this matchup. But, yeah, I mean, we – it's funny that you say, you know, you point to the kind of missed opportunities for Tampa in that game, because I think a lot of people here in Atlanta would look back at that, that game as kind of emblematic of how the season has gone, which is to say that it could have been a blowout victory for Atlanta had the Falcons not shot themselves in the foot kind of multiple times, right? They, they fumbled three times, twice, literally at the one yard line, Antoine Winfield's uh, strip is still one of my favorite plays of the season, even though it came against the Falcons. It was just so cool. So when you ask kind of what's different about this Falcons team, I know we'll get into injuries in a second, and that is kind of the tangible difference. But really, the Falcons have kind of been searching for ha- that offensive performance that they turned in against Tampa Bay really since that game. That should have been a little bit of a turning point, I think, on the season for Atlanta's offense. And unfortunately, the turnovers and then the turnovers kind of the week after that as well have told the story of of Atlanta's offense this season. And that kind of led to Desmond Ritter's benching and and everything went from there. But it's really clearly you can look back at this Tampa game as a little bit of a sliding doors moment. So 
the Falcons since then have been kind of searching for that identity. Now the defense is, I think, still right there as good as they have been. And maybe if, if you had told me, did I expect that to continue throughout the rest of the season at the time, I might've said no, but you know, that that's hard to say that it's different. So this team really is, is not different too, too much. It's just that they're looking for the performance offensively that they had against Tampa Bay. Who knows? Maybe it'll come again this week, but they haven't really had another game where it seems like they're clicking uh, like they did in Tampa that day. Yeah, you look at it, the Bucks are still searching for their signature win, their own explosiveness on offense, their ability to shut a team down to, you know, less than 18 points and and for the offense to really explode. They had that one game where they put up 27 points and lost, but mm. they're, you know, they're looking for okay, we need a signature win and I'm sure they're right in the same boat would love for it to happen against the Falcons, but you know, you talk about you know, when, and I want to get into the defense a little bit later, but you talk about the benching of Desmond Ritter. He sat for two games. Uh, they bring in Tyler, I think it was two games, uh, Taylor Heineke to come mm-hmm. in and kind of be the guy and kind of flounder a little bit. But um, what has that done for Ritter um, to be able to, to to have that sense of demotion? Obviously came on the heels of an injury. Um, you never like to lose your job, you know, from an yeah. injury, but essentially that's what happened until they're like, well, I, <laughs> Heineke, he was maybe you want to have a Heineken after every game. Uh, <laughs> we need to get try to get Ritter back in there. But yeah, how have you sensed that he's grown from that experience? You know, it's really funny because he was asked that question after the Saints game, which obviously, you know, if you're talking about uh, signature wins, I think that the the Falcons could really point to that Saints game as one of their signature wins on the season. But but he was asked kind of like, all right, what did you learn from your two games? being a backup and and sitting there and watching it from the sidelines and getting that different perspective. And I candidly, I didn't really think his answer was a very good one. He said that he learned how to be a backup. And I was like, I don't, is, is that the takeaway? Is that the takeaway that you want for your young quarterback? And so I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. I'm like, you don't want to, that shouldn't be your take. Like, cool. I've learned how to now have a long career as a backup in the NFL. Like, he then expanded upon that. And he said, he just learned the appreciation really of just having to be prepared at any moment and still kind of needing to know everything as though you are the starter, which is, is a real thing. I mean, that is why a lot of teams value kind of these, these same guys that you see Mm -hmm. popping up. Like it was Josh McCown forever, Matt Schaub. Like we see these guys because they're so good in the classroom and they're so good at, at handling their business and being ready to go at the drop of the hat. So I think that that's kind of what he was getting at is maybe the preparation skills, but that was always a strength of Desmond Ritter. If anything, I think we've seen since he's come back, the Falcons have almost gone back to having him be in that game manager role, which he was right. in to start the season and kind of starting with, with the Tampa Bay game and, and a little bit before that, but really that was the first one where it felt like they were expanding their passing game and really starting to put, more on the passing game as opposed to the run game. And that is when they started getting in trouble with these turnovers and with some of these just really momentum killing types of drives and plays. And that is not what Arthur Smith wants. He wants to, you know, really wear you down, but play efficient football and sustain these drives and and play mistake free ball. So I think you're seeing them take it a little bit more out of the hands of Desmond Ritter recently. 
And that obviously comes with more touches for Bajan Robinson, who I could have easily just answered your first question saying what's different with Bajan Robinson, because we all remember that he had kind of that mysterious illness and barely played in that Tampa Bay game. So you guys are going to see a lot of Bajan Robinson in this one because he is becoming that bell cow for Atlanta. You're still going to see Tyler Algier and Cordero Patterson. And so I know that's a long roundabout way to answer your Desmond Ritter question. I think they've taken it a little bit more out of his hands than kind of said, okay, you're fixed after two weeks. It's still very much a work in progress for him. You talk about Bajan Robinson, obviously getting, you know, not playing at all in that game. That's a huge difference, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but just his his expansion into the offense, we, we always knew they were trying to do this positionless type of you know group there with with london be able to play you know inside outside with Pitts being able to line up all over the place and then obviously the ultimate coup d'etat was getting Bajan robinson who can line up pretty much anywhere on the field how have they been using him mostly how has he looked in and obviously we know he's got the wheels and the jukes to make people puke on the sideline but how is he how is he how has he really been and do you think he's got that bell cow um, ability in him. It's interesting. And, and I'm really curious to see if, if Vita Vea is in this game or not and how that impacts him, because he has had a lot of touches in uh, certainly since the bye week you know, I believe he had 17 carries last weekend against a really good New York jets, uh, run defense, but primarily the Falcons have used him on a lot of outside zone and stretch runs and on the perimeter. And so it's almost become a little bit, uh, telltale when he comes into the game as opposed to a Tyler Algier or Cordero Patterson. And and with those guys, they're a little bit more apt to run it between the tackles. Mm. That's not to say that they won't with Bajan. It's just something I've noticed where most of the time he's in, you're going to get him attacking the perimeter, which makes sense. He's elusive. He's fast. He, you know, get him out there in space and let him do his best. But I also kind of think his elusiveness would be really effective inside of the tackles as well. So Again, that that's something where I'll be curious to see if Tampa Bay is picking up on that as well and if that is a little bit of a tendency that is forming. But in terms of him as a receiver, that is where it's really been interesting to kind of watch it all play out and unfold this season because initially I thought that he was going to be this running back who lines up all over the field, right, and and kind of can run a route from the slot or, or maybe you put him in the outside and he just does all this different stuff. And he he can do that at times, but really what I've noticed is almost more what the Panthers did with Christian McCaffrey when he was a rookie, which is have him just run a bunch of different routes from the backfield. And that's interesting. I think it's a little bit you know simpler uh, on the running back, but also it takes a rare athlete to be able to you know run the type of almost speed wheel that we saw Bajan Robinson run yeah. against the Saints when he caught that touchdown pass late in the game. And then they'll turn that into an option route. They can turn that into a standard kind of angle or K route out of the backfield. He just does so much from the backfield. And I, I have to imagine that's part of the design. That's not to say that he won't be in the slot at times or, you know, split out with another back in the backfield, but he does a lot of damage from back there. So uh, you know, I'm curious just to, again, see if that is something that continues to happen, but it is something I've noticed. So he is he is their bell cow. I, I think that he will continue to be that, if not see his usage increase, uh, where most rookies hit a rookie wall. Like 
I, I think they've managed his workload pretty smartly throughout the season and and they should be able to ride him kind of down this playoff stretch, hopefully. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of nuances to playing slot and outside and for running back, especially a rookie running back. It's something that you kind of you throw him out there here and there, but you got to ease him into before you can really play that spot. But and you know, keeping him may- in the backfield also helps. And I should have mentioned just pass protection. And that right. is something where Bajan's game as a rookie is really kind of advanced. Um, so that's another aspect is just leaving him in there with that option. Right. And and, and talking about Bajan, too, you know, you just mentioned, um, you know, it's, he's, he's not often running between the tackles. And when they do use him on those speed wheel routes and stuff, it takes a rare type of athlete to keep up with him, to be able to chase him down, to be able to cover him in that. And um, not that he's great in coverage, but let's just hop into the injury report now because in the Bucks side, that's two of their top players. Or, you know, if you want to call Devin White a top player, call him what it is what he is, but he certainly is fast enough to keep up with guys and certainly enough fast enough to chase down guys. Might not always take the right angle in the tackle or be in the right place in coverage, but you know, speed on the outside uh, at a linebacker position who's going to be mostly lined up on the running back. That's Devin White, uh, big body in the middle who can prevent guys from, you know, running up there with, with comfortability and with with uh, consistent success. That's Vita Vea. Both of these guys have missed two straight days of practice. Vita Vea with a toe injury, Devin White with a foot injury on the Buccaneers side. Another guy who did not practice at all so far this week is Jamel Dean, who's dealing with an ankle and foot injury. A lot of foot injuries on this on this team. Um, pretty much everybody else is in some sort of full or limited participation and look good to go. Uh, but those are three big pieces on the on on the uh, defensive side. Levante back up the full participation, so that's a good one. But he's going to have his hands full with with Kyle Pitts and Jonu Smith. So you're going to be relying on probably rookie Savasie Dennis. Um, that's going to see a lot of work against Bajan Robinson. Um, but Vita Vea, Devin White, Jamel Dean out, that's a huge blow to this Bucks defense. And the uh the Atlanta Falcons, if Arthur Smith is smart enough, he's gonna try to capitalize on that with the things that you just said utilizing Bajan in those in those ways. On the on the Falcons side, talk about me, talk to me about their injuries um and what you're hearing a bit against, you know, guys potentially playing. We know tomorrow is the day. We've seen it all year. Guys don't practice Wednesday. Guys don't practice Thursday. They get that walkthrough practice in Friday, and they're good to go, or at least a game time <laughs> decision. Who falls into that category? Who's going to be out likely? What's that trending? Yeah, uh, so I guess I can start with the positive news. It Most of the season, Atlanta has been really, really solid with the uh, injury report, and some weeks have had just nobody on it for like multiple weeks in a row. That is not the case right now, um, but positive is that Mac Hollins uh, looks like after missing a couple of games, he is going to be back. Uh, he's been dealing with an ankle injury. So that could be, you know, Jamel Dean being out if he is out, uh, something that the Falcons kind of attack the perimeter a little bit with Mac Collins, with uh, Drake London, Van Jefferson, those guys. Um, and then Mike Hughes, their corner. So I'll get to, uh, actually, I'll get to it right now. So AJ Terrell, in the concussion protocol, there's a chance he's been limited the last two days of practice. So that's always a good sign, but the concussion protocol is so tricky that it's really hard to make a call one way or the other. But obviously the Falcons would like to have AJ Terrell, even though Mike Evans uh, usually has a pretty successful outing against uh, AJ Terrell, still always a fun matchup, but Jeff Okuda was uh, a limited participant on Wednesday. He was downgraded today. 
uh, and did not participate. So he is dealing with an ankle injury. So potentially the Falcons could be without their top two corners. Mike Hughes, who is part of that secondary depth, was a full participant um, and has kind of missed the last couple of games with Matt Collins. So that's some good news. But still, you would like to see Terrell and Jeff Okuda, um, another limited participant, although this is an upgrade from Wednesday's status, uh, is Drew Dahlman. So talking about Vita Vea, the Falcons, you know, are dealing with an injury to their starting center. And that's uh, something I think that was new. Like I, I didn't notice him come out of the previous game, but right. he obviously is is struggling with an ankle injury. But if I had to guess, I would, I would lean towards Drew Dahlman suiting up for this one. Another lineman, though, the Falcons could be down is Kayla McGarry, who left the game with a knee injury kind of in the second quarter there and um, against the Saints, I should say, and, and really just kind of has, uh, has struggled uh, to get back. So he did not participate the last couple of days with a knee injury. And then two defensive, two more defensive injuries that could be huge. Nate Lamb and David Onyemata have not practiced this week. They both are dealing, or uh, Lamb's dealing with a knee and David Onyemata is dealing with an ankle injury. Uh, but the Falcons already down Grady Jarrett. Definitely don't want to be down uh, David Onyemata when now it looks like the Buccaneers have finally realized that Rashad White um, can can run the football a little bit. So, yeah, the Falcons are dealing with a lot of injuries uh, of their own, could potentially be down two starting corners, one of their starting linebackers, a starting defensive tackle, potentially two starting offensive linemen. So I don't think it'll be that bad for Atlanta, but it could be you know a rough week injury-wise. Yeah, especially you look at a guy like David Onyemata. I'm just looking up the stats, um, but he had himself a game against the Bucks uh, in Week Seven. Let me just—I had him here. Yeah, he had six pressures, three quarterback hits, and a late sack. Um, you know, against the Bucks, and that was you know against Cody, working a lot against Cody Malk. Um, So that would be a, a big loss, obviously. You know, down cornerbacks. You know, especially in this league. No, Godwin is banged up. Uh, that's been well documented. But Evans seems like he's healthiest as he's as he's ever been. He's so, so good, right? So I mean, if you're dealing, even dealing with you know an ankle injury for Okuda is tough. Mike Hughes, a hand is you know it's different. Maybe it might you know, affect you know some press man on the line. But with Okuda dealing with that ankle injury, if mm-hmm. they can get Evans lined up on him, you know, because he's not going to be a hundred percent ready, uh, you know. That's something that they'll probably look to exploit. But yeah, I mean, both these teams we're we're in the home stretch. No, no team is really a hundred percent right now at this point. So injuries are definitely going to play a part of it. Um, and I think from the Bucks standpoint, their defense has been has regressed. Let's just put it how it is um, over the last you know since the bye week really. Um, and not being able to have those guys, especially a guy like Vita Vea. I mean, that's a huge one. I mean, I yeah. think you can get away. Zion McCollum has played good enough filling in for Jamel Dean, I feel like. And I feel like Savassier Dennis, I want to get a look at him anyways because I don't think Devin White's going to be here. So I would love to see what Savassier Dennis and Levante Dave look like on the field next to each other, potential pairing for next year. Um, but Vita Vea, I think, would be a huge loss for this Bucks team, especially against a team where you know what they're going to do. They're going to run <laughs> the ball. I mean, if you look at what the Falcons are right now, I mean, uh, they are not great passing, um, you know, but they're a heck of a team when they're running the ball. Nothing's really changed. They're sixth in the league in rushing yards, 22nd in the league in passing yards. 
Um, they're not scoring a ton, so uh, that's something that you can, you know, kind of take advantage. Only scoring, you know, eighteen point eight points a, ga- uh, a game. So, but that rushing attack is vaunted. I mean, and they're right in the middle of the pack at fifteenth with time of possession, about just over, you know, thirty minutes, fourteen seconds. So, um, you know, but I, I think if you get Vita Vea back, that will help. They've got some guys there who, you know, in a, in a Greg Gaines who can slow you down, but nobody like Vita Vea, absolutely not. But I want to jump over to the defensive side of the ball because you look at the defense, uh, and if you just look at it at a glance, you're like, wow, you know, seventh in points allowed, tenth in yards per game, eleventh in passing yards, fifteenth in rushing yards. You know, um, that's a really, those are all really good stats. I mean, they are one of the top defenses in the league by those metrics. Still struggling to get sacks, 24th in the league. Still struggling to get turnovers. Jesse Bates is a machine, but no one else can do it. You know, <laughs> someone else has got to, t- <laughs> to uh, put their hand in the jar, too. He's got five of their seven interceptions. But how much of that defense and those numbers are inflated? And it's not the Falcons' fault. Let's just put it out there. They don't make the schedule. But how much of the Falcons' defense is legit? especially their numbers versus how much they've just gone against some really bad football teams. Um, You know, I I think that there is something to that, right? You're not playing the Eagles. You're not playing the Cowboys. You're not playing the Bills. You're not playing the Chargers. Like these are not the, you know, groundbreaking offenses in, in the league. But I think what is more telling are some of the like situational stats. Like Atlanta is... I want to say the second best team in terms of EPA uh, on third down defensively. And I believe they have one of the very best uh, conversion rates allowed on defense on third down. And that's something that has allowed them to really limit opposing offenses. They get off the field, whether they're doing it with a turnover, with a sack or by just playing really good fundamental, like run to the ball, Mm. limit yards after catch defense. And instead of being in, second and and like four a lot of teams are in second and eight against Atlanta and they just kind of make you have to earn every little bit of yardage so I do think that that is sustainable like it's it's a harder way I think to live but as long as you don't suffer a bunch of these injuries all at once where now you've got some of these maybe less talented but maybe less disciplined or younger just inexperienced those types of guys that I could see starting to really impact Atlanta's defense if it all happens at once. But this has been a veteran group. This is a, a group filled with guys like Calais Campbell and Bud Dupree and Lorenzo Carter and Jesse right. Bates and David O'Neill, like veteran guys. So that's kind of what I've seen and why I think they're playing good defense. It's situational. It's it's chancy. Like Jesse Bates making a great play. Like he could have been burned if. Derek Carr does decide to go somewhere else or just hang on the ball a tick longer, but they are making these impact plays. The area where I think Atlanta has gotten lucky and maybe has in a different world, we would say that this is a big weakness. It's just that they have not been exposed yet either because a a team has not hit this opportunity or they have, you know, maybe been bailed out and that's the explosive pass. And we saw it in, in the first matchup with these two teams, right? Mike Evans, deep touchdown. Like they have given up chunk plays. Uh, I, I want to say they're 15th in the league right now in, in kind of explosive plays allowed through the air. And 
that is something where just the eye test, it passes. Like you see a few times a game, somebody kind of left wide open in zone where the linebacker is too slow to catch up. And again, maybe a quarterback has overthrown it. Maybe the receivers dropped it. A few times the Falcons have just decided to eat a pass interference penalty instead of give up a, a deep touchdown. So that is an element. And I know that's something that the Bucks are more than capable of kind of taking advantage of. So that could be a little bit of an equalizer for as well as Atlanta's defense has played. If you can hit some of these explosive passes and maybe get a, a deeper touchdown or two and get some of those easier points instead of having to fight your way down the field, kind of like the Saints did, and then get in the red zone and then come up empty every single time. If Tampa can do that and put the pressure on Atlanta's offense, that's definitely a pathway to victory. A couple more things and we'll, and we'll wrap it up here. But as far as... Um... The Falcons, you know, you look at the remaining schedule. They've got the Bucks, and this is going to determine the the winner uh, or the division lead right now. And then they've got Carolina. Meanwhile, the Bucks play Green Bay. <laughs> then they've got Indianapolis with Gardner Minshew, who looked great and then fell apart um, when he played the Bucks. The Bucks have the Jaguars. Then you go to the next game, and it's you guys got Chicago. The Bucs got the Saints, and then they finish out of the Panthers. You guys finish out of the Saints. Um, but what is the level of optimism that even if you guys drop this game, um, that there's still a path to the NFC South Divisional title? And on top of that, is it something that is it something fans even want? I know it's been a while since the Falcons have made the playoffs, but at five and seven, I mean, I, I think they're I think you know, they're, they're in the playoffs right now. They're going to 19th pick because they're that, they're that final team, right? If you were to, if we were to end the season today and they were losing the playoffs, but if they don't have that division, they're in the top 10, they're picking top 10 and where it looks like there's a potential need for a quarterback and, you know, maybe a new head coach. Well, I'll, I'll ask you about that afterwards. Um, but what is the feeling of optimism that, Hey, we can, even if we lose this game, there's still a path there. and do fans even want that? Yes, fans do want that. Um, I mean, Falcons have picked. They get the top smacked 10. by the Eagles or the or the or the. Yeah, but who who cares? I mean, you you get okay. back to the postseason for the first time since 2017. I mean, that that matters when you haven't been there. Like, I sorry that they haven't won a Super Bowl in the last four years, but they uh, the Falcons want to get back and and fans. Again, like you, you've drafted Kyle Pitts, you've drafted Drake London, you've drafted Bajan Robinson. Like these coming out of each draft class were uh, Drake London, maybe aside, like Kyle Pitts and Bajan Robinson were two of the crown jewels of their two respective draft classes. Like that is an experience that Falcons fans have had much more recently than going into the postseason. And, and so I think that fans are cautiously optimistic as they are kind of, I think, going into each game. Like there's really been a lack of consistency with the Falcons, certainly offensively that has just left a lot of people being like, I don't know what to expect in any single game. You know, we expect feel to that over here. Yeah. Close and, and down to the wire, but is it going to be a gut wrenching loss? Is it going to be head scratching loss? Is it going to be an eke it out win? You know, like anything's on the table. And so I think for that reason, everybody's just kind of taking it game by game. Now there was a, a point going into the bye week after the Falcons had lost three in a row where people were starting to turn their attention to the draft, but it was more, I think, anger and frustration than like, all right, let's turn in the towel let, or throw in the towel. Let's just look ahead of the draft and, and let's do it. Cause that's how it's been the last couple of years. So to see this team 
win two more. And now really they're three and zero in the division. That is, is the key for Atlanta. So you, you talk about this game specifically, if the Falcons win this game, they have an 85% chance to make the playoffs based on the New York times kind of prediction model. If they lose this game, they have a 35% chance, which, you know, is still a decent amount. And it speaks to the fact that the Falcons have an easier road. You know, they have already played green Bay, but they got them in week two before Jordan love became this version. And so they beat green Bay. They do have the Panthers. They've got the bears. Indy is, is probably the hardest team left on the schedule and that's an out of conference game. So it doesn't hurt you that much. And you know, I, like, I think that the Falcons, even if they lose this game, if they beat the Panthers and the Saints, they have to like where they're at. So for that reason, I think a lot of fans will feel much more optimistic, maybe with a win on Sunday, because if that happens, you're sitting very pretty in terms of the postseason. Um, but definitely at this point, not looking ahead of the draft. And at this point, honestly, like not even really thinking you're out of the woods, because as as much as the Falcons have won the last two games, Last weekend was ugly, and the Saints game could have gone entirely differently if if they had just been able to do something in the red zone. So it's it's a cautious optimism, but they certainly would love to be back in the playoffs, even if it means a forty eight to seven loss to like Dallas in in round one. So let's say they let's say flip the other side, they don't make the playoffs. What's the future looking like for Arthur Smith? And have there have you heard any rumblings from you know obviously fans, but uh, you know front office, maybe, you know, sources that if they don't win this, uh, they, they don't make the playoffs that they're probably in the market for a quarterback, maybe grab, go after the guy that they probably should have taken <laughs> to begin with, you know, where I'm going with this and Justin Fields. Yeah. I mean, that, that is definitely something that has been talked about a lot here in Atlanta, certainly because, you know, Justin Fields is a homegrown kid. The Falcons, yeah, a lot of interest in him uh, it, coming out of the draft. He made no bones about he would be down to play for the Falcons um, if if that was the team that picked him. I I think that if the Falcons do not make the playoffs, I would expect Arthur Smith to get one more year. Certainly next year would be the hot seat year. But what I think a lot of people nationally kind of fail to fully grasp is just how dire the Falcons kind of situation was that they walked into that Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot walked into and just kind of the cleanup job they had to do to even Matt really Ryan get to contract, the Julio contract. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, exactly. He's going through it right now with bulls, right? The first year he was given the team March, April 30th. Can't do anything. You know, yeah. you're not even like really involved in draft prep. You know, you've made your defensive contributions, but, and then, you know, you go to the next year, and he's hit with the $35 million dead cap hit from Brady and all the other players that they went all in and 40% of your cap is gone. So there's yeah. a, that case to be made for like, he's never had a fair shake. And I think Arthur Smith, this is year one of his fair shake, right? It is. But what is mostly concerning and the reason why I think you are hearing such a, because everybody here in Atlanta understood that, right? Some were more willing to buy into year three really being year one than others. I mean, year three was always circled as, okay, we at least expect you to to make the playoffs because you should have a culture established. You should, you know, at that point, be able to bring in the players you need. And they did defensively. And I, I think it's a big testament to this offseason and to the regime and the plan in place that they kind of transformed their defense in one offseason when they finally had the money 
to do so. You look at their their biggest acquisition, Jesse Bates. That is a grand slam acquisition at this point. You know, if we're looking at this, he looks like an all pro safety right now. So that is is great. What is Arthur Smith in kind of a little bit of hot water is the fact that the offense has been the issue and the fact that you have spent your three top 10 picks on offensive weapons. Kyle Pitts is kind of like a, a punchline around the league at this point for his usage. Drake London is a very good receiver. He's a little bit Mike Evans light still in his second year. We'll see what he develops into, but he looks like at least a good draft pick worthy of, you know, the number eight pick. I don't know. Maybe that's a little rich, but again, he's not an issue, but John Robinson is very fun. I think that's awesome. We can have the running back debate, but whatever. I, it's just the fact that the offense has never clicked or gelled that even though this is a little bit of a year one, if the offense is what keeps them out of the playoffs in a very winnable division, that is where I think you, you really start to have those questions about Arthur Smith and especially quarterback. And so at that point, you know, I wonder if mandates come down at any point. If owners are emotional, <laughs> yeah, right now, whether that's for a Justin Fields or if it's a hey, we'll let you get your pick of quarterback, but it's got to be you got to go get a first round quarterback or have a very good reason for taking one in the second, right? But we need a guy, and this is your last chance. That's kind of how I would expect it to play out if they end up missing the postseason, and even if they make it a postseason. You know, it may not then be mandates and all of that stuff, but I think you might see a different quarterback um, unless Desmond really turns it around over the last few weeks. You know, even a playoff run may not be enough to just lock him in as the starter next year. It's difficult, too, because the quarterback landscape, you know how it goes. If you got one, you don't let him go. And pretty much the only guy on the market next year is Kirk Cousins coming off an Achilles at like 34 years old. And the Vikings have already been open about wanting to have him back, especially Kevin O'Connell been very vocal about that. So, you know, your options are, well, the Bears, do they get the first first overall pick and do they want Caleb Williams? Well, that means Justin Fields might be available. Uh, you look around the landscape of the mm -hmm. league and no one's training for Mac Jones, I'll tell you that. Um, you know, Kyler Murray, let's say the Cardinals get number two. Do they want Drake May or do they stick with Kyler Murray? That's a big debate there. Um, but other than that, I mean, you're looking at Baker back on the market potentially and the Josh Dobbs, the passion, you know, so like there's not <laughs> much out there and available. So, you know, you look to the draft. Yeah, maybe, you know, especially if they made it to the playoffs and, and they lose that first game 19, you're looking at maybe a Bo Nix, a Michael Penix. I don't think James Daniels falls that far. I don't think he gets out of the top 15. Uh, obviously, Caleb and Williams will be gone. Um, you know, do you, do you try to get one of those guys there? Do you hope maybe one of them falls to the second round pick 19? That's a gamble. Uh, they're kind of in, they're, they're kind of like the bucks, right? Uh, they're in, in kind of in no man's land. You kind of ride what you have, or maybe you make a deal for Justin Fields. If he becomes available, other than that, you're kind of left holding the bucket. Cause there's, you're, you're not bad enough, you know, to be in the, in the high enough in the top 10, to get one of these guys, but you're not good enough. Uh, and there's no good, uh, good quarterbacks either. Do you, you know, so, uh, but let's get yeah. down to score predictions right here. Uh, we'll wrap it up here. Give me your thoughts on this game score predictions. What do you think likely happens, uh, offensive defensively and, and then what's your score at? Yeah, I think Atlanta is, especially if Vita is out, but even if he's not, 
I, I think they will be able to establish the run a little bit more than they were. I mean, it was the run game kind of early. I think that Atlanta got going against Tampa Bay and then certainly the inside run. I mean, Tyler Algier, Cordero Patterson, that was by far kind of, I think their best games because Bijan was right. out, but I would expect you to see a little bit more variation in the run game, but they are, I believe going to really stick with that. And then I think that's where you'll see, you know, a Johnu Smith get involved over the middle. Kyle Pitts had, you know, at least a solid game last week. So maybe he's, in the mix a little bit more. Um, and then maybe one or two of those deep shots kind of down the sideline, especially if Jamel Dean is out defensively for Atlanta. You know, I, I wondered, did they just straight up double team Mike Evans? Do they just shout shadow him with, with a Richie Grant or, you know, Jesse Bates, even though he's so good in the middle of the field. Um, and then I, I think you'll see a lot of the simulated pressures um, against Baker, try to maybe get him to see some, some things, get him out of the pocket, even though he likes to do that. I think they stand a better chance of, just kind of getting Baker to be a little bit hero ballish mm. at times and, and maybe throw some of those picks as opposed to dropping a lot of guys into coverage. Cause Baker at this point, I think is good enough and his receivers, Mike Evans is good enough. Like you can find those holes if you give him right. time and Atlanta's pass rush is not so, so good individually because it is a little long in the tooth. Um, so that's maybe how I would see special teams could be a big factor in this game. It's kind of been a little bit of an Achilles heel for Atlanta uh, this season and certainly the last couple of weeks. But that being said, I think the X factor will be the fact that Atlanta is at home. Um, when they played the saints, it was an atmosphere, not at all. Like I expected it was coming off of Thanksgiving. It was kind of a cold, dreary gray. It looked like the walking dead outside and it felt like the walking dead inside about 45 minutes before kickoff. And I was uh, talking to the reporter who covers Falcons for ESPN. And we were just like, man, if, if there's no crowd in here today, if everybody's still Thanksgiving and, and whatnot, and the team sleepwalks out of the bye week and loses to the Saints, like the season's over. Instead, so many people were in the building. It was kind of the 50th anniversary of hip hop in the South celebration that Atlanta was doing. That's when Ludacris repelled right. down the, uh, the Not thing. there, you know? <laughs> yeah. And the crowd was as good as I have seen in that building in a long time. So I think the fact that the Falcons have won two that people have talked about the atmosphere in that building uh, against the saints. And it is going to be a little bit of a, uh, an alumni kind of homecoming game for the Falcons this mm. weekend. I think you'll see the Falcons get a big energy boost from the crowd. I think they'll be able to get their run game, their offensive line going a little bit. And so I like Atlanta still not like blowing the top off offensively, but maybe like 24, 16, I could see the bucks having the ball late being down eight or some kind of weird score where it's within a score and, and something kind of tight happening once again, but Atlanta, as they have a lot of times this season, kind of making maybe a defensive stop to get the ball back um, and and win this game. Yeah, I think it's going to be a close game. Not quite there at my score prediction yet, but I think it's going to be close. There's so much riding on the line for the Bucks, but, um, you know, Atlanta at home, you know, the defense has played well. The Bucks defense has been, you know, flip a coin what are you getting <laughs> each week uh especially if Vita's going to be out kind of want to definitely reserve until tomorrow till i know because that's a huge factor i think yeah. also a huge factor for if mcgarry can't go because you guys don't have any good backup tackles you barely have good tackles to begin with uh, it could be such a ripple effect like uh, you know i think if if drew dalman is out and and vita vea is in and caleb mcgarry being out like 
that's where you see if, if you're a running back and you got to pick up the blitz, right? And Vita Vea is just collapsing in the pocket <laughs> from the inside. That's where you go. And so I could see Shaq Barrett having a pretty big game if, yeah, if Atlanta's yeah. missing its, start, its two offensive linemen. I mean, for sure. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's going to be interesting no matter what because there's a lot of the line for the Bucks. So um, there's going to be some hearts broken one way or the other. I think the hearts will be more broken if the Bucks lose because I feel like the the – uh, the Falcons can afford a loss um, because I don't see the Bucks sweeping uh, the next four games after that. So um, that's going to do it. I'm appreciative that, that you came back on here this time. Last time you got the better. Hopefully I'll get the better end of it. Uh, it's always better covering a team once they win, but I won't be making the trip up there. So I won't be bumping into you. I chose Green Bay instead. Can you blame me? Uh, <laughs> I, I would do the exact same, man. That That's going to be a really cool, uh, cool game. Absolutely. It's supposed to snow Sunday morning too. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Extended weather forecast is saying the change, but you know, <laughs> but um, yeah, thanks again for coming on. Uh, thanks for chopping it up. And, yeah. Thank uh, you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have to do this again next year for sure. All right. Talk to you later, man. That's going to do it here at Pirate Parlay. Breakdown of the Falcons. Uh, what's changed? What's new? Injury report, all that stuff. Uh, if you guys just sink your teeth in. So, we'll be back next week, hopefully, with another player. I got a few more contacts this week so we'll get somebody else in here uh break it down you know how their season's been going get to know them a little bit more but that's gonna do it here pirate parlay i'm jc allen your host check out all my work at sports illustrated bucks game day we got some awesome stuff going on over there but that's it for me here at the sick podcast network i'm out of here peace and that's a wrap hope you don't miss us too much until next time follow the sick podcast pirate parlay on youtube facebook Google Play and Apple Podcasts.